Hey guys, I'm excited to tell you about a new sponsor on the podcast, which is Zencaster. Zencaster is my number one podcast tool because whenever I decided to start doing interviews here on the podcast, I looked around at tools and apps to use for doing remote interviews. Zoom just doesn't provide good enough quality for what I was looking for, and I had some trouble with other uh, options out there until I came across Zencaster. They provide crystal clear sound and gorgeous HD video. I love how it records a separate audio and video track for both me and my guests, so you get a much better uh, quality output at the end. Plus, there's also a secured cloud backup so that you never lose your interviews whenever there's a problem with internet connections. It's super easy to use, and there's nothing to download. Me and my guests just have to click on one link, and we start recording. Go and click on the link in my description so that you can get 30% off your first three months with a Zencaster Pro account. It's a great deal. I hope you take advantage of it. Just once again, go click the link in the show notes and you can get 30% off your first three months with Zencaster Pro. Three, two, one, zero, zero. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Filter. On this show, we recognize that the world can be a confusing place to live in. And so what I seek to do on this show is to equip you to live with biblical clarity in our confusing world so that you can face the chaos of life with wisdom, integrity, and courage. Scholar George Yancey is no stranger to this podcast, and I'm excited to feature him on this show again. We recently got to do a live Q&A together at my church when George came to speak on Beyond Racial Division. I got to receive submit, uh, questions that were submitted from our congregation to ask him, as well as share some of my own questions. We ended up covering a lot of topics related to racial alienation, collaborative conversations, and even education. I think you'll enjoy it. If you want to listen to the talk that he gave before the Q&A, then just click on the link uh, to the show notes below and you'll find it there. George Yancey is a scholar on race and religion in America. He holds a PhD in sociology from the University of Texas and began his career studying interracial relationships and multi-ethnic churches. Since 2019, he has been at Baylor University working on a joint appointment in sociology and the Institute of Religious Studies. He's the author of several books, including So Many Christians, So Few Lions, Beyond Racial Gridlock, and his newest book, Beyond Racial Division, A Unifying Alternative to Colorblindness and Anti-Racism. Before we dive into this episode, let me encourage you to subscribe to our email list if you have not yet already, so that you can get all of the latest content sent directly into your inbox. Just visit the link to the show notes and you can sign up on my website. Also, be sure that you are subscribed to Filter wherever you get your podcasts so that you can get all future episodes right on your homepage. If you're helped by this content, we really appreciate it if you left us a rating and review or shared this show with your friends. Leave Filter a five-star rating on Spotify and write a review on Apple Podcasts. It'll only take a minute of your time, and when you take these simple steps, it greatly helps us to get the message of biblical clarity out to more people. Well, without any further delay, let's jump into this live Q&A that I got to do with George Yancey. Okay. All right. Thank you, guys. Well, this is going to be fun. This is going to be uh, something new. We've never done a Q&A like this in our service before. Glad so, to be your uh, first. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you for being willing to experiment with me here. Uh, but we already had a lot of great questions come in, uh, and so, and I had a, a several of my own that I wanted to ask, and so uh, we'll, we'll get to as many as we can, um, 
and uh, you know maybe me and you can do another podcast episode like a follow up sure that uh, sure. And I get to more of the questions and uh, some of my questions as well so thank you guys for sending in your questions uh, feel free to keep sending them in uh, while we're talking uh, because I can see them coming in live so uh, so definitely feel free to shoot those in and like I said even uh, if we can't get to all of them we'll do so uh, we'll do a podcast episode with some spillover questions so uh, first of all, thank you for your, uh, for your talk today. It was great. I really enjoyed it. Um, I finished reading George's book last week, uh, Beyond Racial Division, uh, and uh, it, it's excellent. Uh, I highly and uh, wholly recommend it. And so uh, definitely take advantage of that uh, discount that he offers with a card so you can pick up a copy, especially if you're really looking for uh, any of his arguments, whether that be some of his critiques, and, but then especially the, the positive arguments he puts forward. Uh, if you're looking to see any of that more fleshed out, uh, then definitely get the book because he goes into a lot more detail than what he can do in a 30-minute talk, obviously. So, uh, well, let's get started with, uh, with, with some of these questions. Like I said, we had a lot of great ones already, um, a lot of really practical questions. Uh, let's start. I, I like uh, these questions here. Um, so this first one is, do biased behaviors and racism end up getting grouped together uh, or uh, I think what, what the question is, or does sometimes culture differentiate? Yeah, let's see if I answer, understand the question. Uh, biased behaviors and racism, uh, I suppose, a culture. Uh, first, I think it depends on how you define racism. You know, I think that uh, people have different definitions. Is racism just about me acting in a biased way towards individuals, or is it more encompassing? Mm -hmm. Because if it's the second one, then biased behavior is, you don't, is not necessary for racism at all. Uh, there's biased outcomes that may or may not be tied to how people actually are beha behaving. Uh, their behavior may be just what they're supposed to do in society, and, and that just goes along. Just, for example, the, the school I've talked about, that uh, a school that focuses in on uh, industrial arts as opposed to academic excellence, the people in that school, I don't think we're, we're acting in a biased way against Hispanic Americans. They're doing their jobs, basically. Uh, but the, the outcomes, obviously, was biased in, in that way. Uh, I think, and then there's a culture component uh, to this question. I'm trying to see exactly how this fits. Uh, does our culture, I guess maybe, I don't know if the person means, does our culture help to shape our biased behaviors? Maybe that's what they mean. And undoubtedly the answer is yes, uh, that our culture would help us shape the biased behaviors that we do have. Our culture, people underestimate just how powerful our culture is, uh, how, we are, how we're convinced about things, just because our culture says this. So, you know, our culture used to say that, uh, that women were intellectually inferior to men and blacks were intellectually inferior to whites and all that sort of thing. And, we, and everyone bought it, even blacks and women bought that. So, uh, so, and our culture says stuff today that I think some of us, some of us as Christians say, well, that's just not true, but people buy because of the culture. So, uh, so yeah, definitely our culture shapes how we see things and how we may act out in bias. Yeah, and uh, that was uh, one family with a couple of questions. Their second question, which also I would like mm -hmm. to hear, was, uh, mm -hmm. so how did you end up talking to your kids about race? <laughs> you know, it is an ongoing process of figuring it out, kind of. I, I, I say is similar to talking to your kid about sex, uh, in that you know it's an ongoing thing. It's not like let's have the sex talk. We're done. You know, I wish it was that way. Uh, <laughs> now, 
at this point, and you know, both my wife and I, we're just figuring out as we go along because there's not good stuff out there. I, mean, I know Kendi has his anti-racism baby book and uh, like, you know, that, I'm definitely not using that. Uh, right now with our kids at our age, we are focusing on awareness. You know, we're not really getting into the, to the relationship part of it and that sort of stuff. Uh, I'm interracially married so they can see that blacks and whites get along, uh, usually. <laughs> uh, 99% of the time. You know, uh, but uh, we're you know we're trying to bring up. So what we've done is we've taken our our, our boys to uh, to, uh, to Juneteenth celebrations, to Martin Luther King Day celebrations. Uh, the our oldest one reads, uh, and he really reads quite well for his age. He reads a lot, and so we're getting some material for him to read. We want them to be aware of the issues of race and racism in our society historically and, and today. And we think that that's the stage that they're at. And that's all we got, because you know, at this point, that's because that, their age is, I, I do think at, at a certain age, we're gonna wanna talk to them about, okay, what does this mean as far as how do you relate to people? How do you, uh, how do you work out problems? How do we uh, illustrate that, this? And I do think that given my approach, the more that we can engage, we can illustrate that uh, in our lives, the better off we're going to be. So, uh, so yeah, I don't have I don't have the answers to that. And, and when I do, maybe I'll write a book on that. But right now, I don't I don't have the complete answers. We're still we're still working it out. And when our when our boys, you know, get when they're all 18 or above and they're sharp on racial issues, I say, hey, we we did a good thing. Then I'll write a book on that. Great. You're a scientist, so you always like to make sure that your that your methods. My data, yeah. Yeah, that the da data is there yeah, before you right, promote yes. your methods. So yeah. I understand that. Uh, here's another good one. Uh, we're, we, we're getting a lot of questions still coming in. They're all good, but, uh, but I really like this one. Uh, there's a category of people that are open to mutual conversations on a race, uh, but what are ways that you think through approaching people who are not as open? Right. Very fair question. Uh, I think about half of the people in this country, about half, maybe a little bit more, are uh, at a situation where they, they haven't thought much about race or when they've looked around at colorblindness and anti-racism, for different reasons, they, 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 it doesn't fit with them and they want something else. So I think there's half the people that are open to, to a conversation. I do think there's, there's a little bit less than half, but they're there. People are either so wedded to colorblindness or so wedded to anti-racism that you really can't have a productive conversation at this point in time. And so when I run to those folks, for myself, I cannot hit my head against the wall again and again and again. I just say, you know, God bless you and, and move on. You know, it's not unlike evangelism in that you know that there are people who are ready to hear and people who are not ready to hear. And they're not ready to hear and just hitting your head against the wall just does nothing as it maybe alienate them. You love them, you care for them, and you wait for the opportunity to come. I think we reach the half that is ready to move in this direction and they become more active. I think we'll start cutting into the others because they'll start seeing, hey, there's something working here. I'm actually working on research right now, which I hope will really more overtly document how useful uh, this cloud conversation approach really is. And so I hope that, you know, it's going to take a couple of years because this is how long research takes, but I'm hoping in a few years to say, hey, look, this is actually working. And then we're going to, we can go to those who are more close-minded and say, we got science directly that's showing this is benefiting. That's not going to convince everyone, but we can convince more of them. 
But I think we're working with about 50% that are open to having this conversation right now, to be honest. Um, and we, can, we should start with that 50% and then see if we can move on as the process goes along. We're getting several questions related to uh, education mm -hmm. uh, and also related to what you had talked about before, that study that showed that more educated whites were actually less likely to send their kids to yeah. uh, integrated schools. Um, so, so yes, we're getting several questions about education. I think, uh, I think this one might help cover them all the most. Uh, school of choice is a conservative view as the solution to having black and white, uh, quote unquote, black yeah. and white schools right. that have huge funding disparities. Uh, this is opposed by the anti-racist movements. What are your thoughts on a good solution? Yeah, I think that's interesting. Uh, yeah, I think there's merit to school choice as far as academics. Honestly, I think that school choice would probably help out a lot of kids uh, better. As far as racial issues, though, uh, yeah, I I think that there are there are some potential downfalls to that. Uh, there's there's a different study that shows that that there was a school choice situation. What they found out was that whites were sending their kids to schools that were predominantly white, which is not a surprise. But the reason always given is these are better schools. But in this particular case, there was a black school that was doing a little bit better than the white school. Yet the white parents are still prioritizing sending their kids to, these, to this white school that was doing worse than this black school. So I do share the concerns that school choice, even though I, I, I do think overall, academically, it probably would benefit uh, kids overall. Uh, but I do share the concerns that it may create more racial polarization. If we had situations where we had more of a collaboration where we could understood each other better, perhaps it wouldn't be that way. But in the world we live in today, I fear that it could do that. Yeah, I see that argument. And so as a follow-up question, what would be our roles as, uh, as parents, mm -hmm. community members, and especially we have a lot of educators here, what would mm -hmm. be our role in that collaborative conversation when it comes to uh, mm -hmm. education? So here's something that uh, I think schools should consider. All right, I know, and I don't want to get too deep into the weeds on the critical race theory stuff, because I know that that's a big topic, but you know, you do something, critical race theory, you get protests. And whether it's critical race theory or not, people are gonna protest. I think we need to talk a little bit less about doing racial justice. I'm not saying I'm against racial justice, but more about having better interracial conversations. Because I think you can get to justice through the conversations easier then you're saying, we're doing racial justice, and we're going to put this in their schools. Because that's going to trigger people. They're going to say, you're going to do critical theory, and they're going to protest you. I think having some, and, and I also think that you need to bring people into, in, you need to bring the parents into the conversation. You don't need to set something up and say, this is what we're going to do, like it or leave it. That's, that's going to get you the, the yelling mother at the, school, at the school board meeting. So what you need to do, I think, is work on a program uh, that is actually, and I'm actually working with a couple of colleagues to try to develop this for Christian schools, but I think it could be amenable to, to uh, secular schools as well, uh, that, that encourages the sort of conversations that's going to really make a difference, if it's done the right way. Uh, and I think that that is one of the ways. There is, there is no silver bullet in this. There's, there's no guarantee. And... Uh, I, I can't say if you do this that you're not going to get some angry parents who still say you can do CRT, but I think you're, you're, you're taking away at least a little bit of the, uh, of the animosity. Say, look, you know, what we want to do is 
you're gonna, we're gonna, your kids are going to grow up in a, in a society that's going to be racially diverse. We're going to learn how to get along with each other. We think it's very important that they learn how to talk to people of different races. Don't you think that's important? And I think if you have that sort of approach, you have a better chance uh, of, of dealing with this than if you come in with some sort of uh, talk about racial justice. And once it's talking about the language of the listener is incredibly important. And some people don't want to do that because they say, well, we want justice. Okay, if you want justice, this is a better way to do it than coming in and proclaiming you want justice. It's kind of like, you know, uh, one of my kids is kind of obstinate. So if we tell him to do something, he's going to do the opposite, you know. So we're learning that reverse psychology trick that parents know so well. Uh, and it's, it works sometimes. So, uh, so sometimes you can't just say, we're going to do this because this is what we really want. You've got to learn how to uh, talk to people in a way they can hear you so that you can get more people on board. And so that's, that's how, if you're an educator and you're in a situation to, to, uh, to deal with that, to, to influence the process, I would consider that sort of approach, uh, more of a collaborative conversations, interracial communication approach, in order so we can understand each other and then work out our racial problems together. And by the way, let me just be clear, this is not just about so we can get along with each other. This is about how we solve problems. We learn to talk so we can solve problems. Getting along is great and, and to be encouraged, but that's not, the, that's not the ultimate goal of this. The ultimate goal of this is to solve problems. So whenever we have these uh, conversations, uh, particularly within the church, because um, let me ask this question first. You, you, you started your talk by talk, saying how we as Christians uh, so often just end up parroting whatever the world says, mm -hmm. whether that be the yeah. colorblindness approach yeah. or the anti-racism approach. And this is something else that I saw, especially during 2020, where we had uh, a couple of different racial incidents uh, in the months of protests, riots, yeah. and every, uh, political upheaval after that. Um, I started to look around at uh, uh, church responses, Christian responses, evangelical yeah. responses. And I looked at the world and I looked at uh, Christian leaders and I saw the exact same thing. Yeah. Like division, vitriol, yeah. and then online division, vitriol. Yeah. Exact same thing. Yeah. Why, do you, why is it that the church is as just as divided as the world on racial issues? <clears throat> You know, I think that that's a larger question. Why the church looks like the world so much on some on too many issues? Uh, I, I think part of it is that as long as much as we like to say that we're a countercultural society, we often are not, and it is easier to go along with the culture in a lot of ways. Now we'll pick a couple of issues which would be countercultural on, but then we generally go with the world instead of thinking through the, the ramifications of what our faith really means and. I'm not unaware of the implications of what I present, not just on racial issues, but on a lot. I mean, what if we start really believing the, about human depravity, that we as humans cannot figure it all out, and that we need to find ways in which we, we need to be held in check as much as everyone else? I think that that would change a lot of how we approach things. We would, we would not be so confident that we have all the right answers. And... One of the things is when you're very confident you have all the right answers, it has a couple of implications. One of the implications, research shows this, is that when you're so confident you have all the right answers, you have a harder time, uh, you have a harder time understanding people who disagree with you, and you have a tendency to see them not as wrong but as evil. Uh, and, and thus you increase polarization. So, uh, and then, you know, when you're so confident, and I think me and you talked about this last night, when you're so confident that you have all the right answers, 
you tend to fear other people getting power, so much so that you may engage in activities that violate your own sense of moralities. Because you have to keep that power because, you know, you losing that power is not just about inconvenience. Unspeakable things will happen if you lose that power. And so you have to do whatever you can to keep that power. And there's research on, on terrorists, well, just terrorists, and that's a lot of what motivates what they do. So there's a lot of implications if we take seriously the, implications, the theological implications of our faith. And unfortunately, I don't think we do often enough. Mm. Yeah, I think it, it gives more uh, uh, personal humility, mm -hmm. like you said, and an understanding of our own uh, fallibility, our own depravity. But then once we go on a broader scale as well, it also makes us more willing uh, whenever our side is in power. Yes. Whether that be the White House or yeah. uh, Congress or whatever else. Uh, more or in the Southern Baptist Convention right now. True, yeah, even yeah. Out, outside yeah. of politics. Yeah. To understand uh, that even our side needs to have checks to their power. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. uh, one thing that concerns me is uh, authoritarianism growing mm -hmm. on both sides of the aisle, yeah. I think, because yeah. they want to remain in power, keep the other side from being in power. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so resisting that authoritarian mindset, which says, well, if we could just be in control, yeah. And then expand our control, then everything will be okay. Um, and you know, forgetting uh, forgetting depravity and and why uh, our founders, you know, put checks and balances in the government because they also believed in yeah. depravity. That's what drove them. So um, we're running out of time. The last question I want to ask you, and we have more questions. I'm sorry, guys. We're we'll, we'll work out our schedules to do a follow up podcast so we can get to more questions. But the last one I want to ask you is, how do we put the gospel at the center of our uh, racial conversations. Yeah. Okay, so let me phrase this in this way. All right. Uh, we live in a post-Christian society right now. All right? So I'm, I'm sure you all are familiar with this. I mean, uh, we used to be in a society where Christianity was sort of default. And if you went in a town, you kind of felt like you had to find a church. Kind of felt like you had to. Even if you didn't really go that often, but just to go every now and then and just say you're a member of a church. People don't feel that way anymore. People feel that, you know, I can get what I need. I don't have to step foot in the church because we live in a post-Christian society. People are going to come to Christianity, come to us, if we offer them something they're not getting outside of, the, of our faith. I think this is one big avenue we can offer something they, they're not getting outside of our faith. What if, you know, just imagine with me, what if Christians became known as the group that, that has these great conversations on racial issues and actually works out problems. People will come to, come to look at, what is it about Christianity that's doing that? What about people are, you know, what is it about people of this faith that's doing that? That will draw people. If we get our act together on racial issues, it has all sorts of implications as what we can do in a post-Christian world where people no longer feel the obligation to become somewhat involved with Christianity. But we have to get our act together. We have to figure it out. And like you said, we have to, as Christians, stop sounding like the rest of the world, being as polarized, and finding ways in which we can unite instead of argue with one another. So I do think that this is perhaps what God, one of the ways God could use race to actually bolster who we are as Christians if we can do the hard work to learn the skills we need and to move forward. Uh, and so, and plus because our solution really is tied to a central component of the gospel, which is human depravity, 
you know, as people come, and as we, you know, perhaps teach them active listening and other things that are not directly spiritually based, but then well, how do we get here? We can talk about how we understand human depravity and how why this is important. I think we really bring people closer to God, closer to Christ in that way. Mm, absolutely, good work. Okay. Uh, well, thank you. We're, like I said, we have a lot more questions, but we're running out of time. Uh, uh, before we uh, close this Q&A, I just really want to thank you for making thank the trip down me. here, uh, especially to your, your uh, family. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you to them for allowing you to come down here and be with us. Really appreciate it. Um, guys, remember, uh, pick up the book. It's really worth the time and the read. Uh, a lot more fleshed out there, uh, and we could even uh, have more conversations together if, uh, if we get this and uh, continue this on beyond just one weekend. Uh, So would you guys give a very hearty thank you to George. Thanks for listening. I hope this episode provided you with biblical clarity to live with confidence in our confusing world. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch up the latest from me, you can go to my website, AaronChamp.com. While you're there, subscribe to my newsletter so that you can be updated anytime I share new content. You can also follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Aaron M. Champ. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time. Until then, hold fast.